Welcome to Teen Wealth Radio, a show just for teens, their parents, and educators to come together and discuss the issues that are affecting our youth today. Your host is Brandy England. Brandy is joined each week by amazing guests, as well as a regular panel of co-hosts who are here to give you ideas and encouragement every step of the way. We also have plenty of other surprises on today's show. So let's get started. Here's your host, Brandy England. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Team Wealth Radio. Cass was the host of the show last week and did such a better job than I usually do that we've invited Cass back again to host the show. And we're going to be talking about a whole bunch of different things with a very good friend, Tom. Take it away. Have a good week, everyone. I'll see you next week. Same time, same place. Bye. Thanks, Brandy. Kotoko, this is Cass back again. Um, Brandy's delegated to me because apparently I'm better at this than she is. Um, I'm joined in the studio this week by Tom Hutton, who is a good friend of mine. I think we've been friends for going on about eight years now. Yeah, that's yeah. terrifying. We yeah. Put a number on like that. <laughs> since we were teenagers, basically. I think since my last year of high school. Um, so, Tom, welcome to the show. Do you want to introduce yourself? Say a little bit about yourself. Hi, I'm Tom. I'm from New Zealand, from Wellington, the greatest city in the world. Possibly, uh, I am a. Um, I volunteer a lot with uh, with teens. I work as a adventure leader, which is the teenage section of uh, scouting in New Zealand. So, working with fourteen to eighteen year olds, um, and I also work with uh, rovers, which is the age section above that, so eighteen through to twenty six, um, which is where kind of my passion lies in, like helping young people become the best versions of themselves. Excellent. I mean, you're pretty good at doing that. I like to think so. You certainly helped me become, if not the best, at least a marginally better <laughs> version of myself once upon a time. Um, and, uh, yeah, I've, I've heard you talk a lot about scouting and rovers over the years, and it, it sounds like that's sort of where you've put a lot of your focus. Um, yeah, well, when you spend 22 years of your life doing something, it does become quite, like, central to, uh, to your identity, I guess. Mm. Um, and so for me, it was really cool to, like, come up through the scouting movement which, uh, for the record, is quite different from Scouts here. Yeah, it's not like the Boy Scouts of America, is it? No, uh, we're, we're just Scouts, so people of all yeah. uh, are able to take part, and also just the structures and the way that we operate are quite different. But, uh, yeah, as I was saying, it's, it's, really, it's been really cool for me to come up through that movement as a, as a youth and then kind of be able to give back um, first in some youth volunteer roles and then in some adult volunteer roles. Yeah, <laughs> excellent. So um, you've then... I imagine had quite a lot of experience with, um, particularly in scouting, um, topics around masculinity in various forms. Yeah, it's like for, for me, it's something that I've always kind of done a bit of thinking about, even when I wasn't aware that that was kind of what I was thinking about. It was something that was like in the back of my mind around like how how do I express myself in a healthy way as mm. someone who was like a sign male at birth. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about that. Um, you know, you've obviously had experience with masculinity, um, you know, in the scouting movement, I imagine just in everyday life, having been raised um, assigned male. Um, so let's talk a little bit about kind of toxic masculinity versus healthy masculinity. Um, what do those terms mean to you? Yeah, so, so for me, like, toxic masculinity, I guess, is best summed up by the kind of, like, 
the bro culture and a lot of the assumptions around like what it means to be male um and that's like around like you need to be like really physical really aggressive no filter you're not allowed to show any emotions um, you're not allowed to have like meaningful connections with people which especially not other men yeah of, of course which just like sounds really to me at least that sounds really unpleasant and like a not super great way to live your life and so i've always I guess, like, over time, I have more and more strived to be distant from that. Um, and for me, like, trying to define healthy masculinity is quite hard because I think that healthy masculinity just kind of looks like being a healthy person mm. in general. Um, Which is a lot of, of, I guess, central to healthy masculinity is not making masculinity the most important part of that. Yeah, exactly. So it's, it's about, like, recognising that people are people regardless of their gender and particularly regardless of the gender that they were assigned at birth mm. uh, and that what's a lot more important than, like, someone's gender is who they are as a person and that there shouldn't be any... I guess in, in my view, there shouldn't be, like, any difference between the behaviour that is expected from men versus people of other genders. Yes, yeah. So basically taking the the societal expectations that we have for people and equalizing them a bit more so that there's nothing that's um, off limits for men to do by virtue of the fact that they are men and doing that thing would make them lesser. Yeah, exactly. And I, I grew up like I don't I, I grew up in what I considered a fairly like what I consider in hindsight a fairly healthy culture in regards to masculinity like my my dad bakes and cooks mm -hmm. and knits uh and occasionally wore dresses and uh all that I, sort i've of never stuff. seen your dad doing that but i can imagine it very clearly <laughs> yeah but, but but the undercurrent of that is when he was doing it it was like a fun dress up thing as opposed yeah. to like an expression of yeah of something for himself uh and he was still um, I'm not sure how this conversation happened to my parents. I haven't asked them about it, but he was still the one who was working while my mum was a stay-at-home mum. Mm. Um, and there was still, like, just kind of some underlying assumptions around, like, the roles that people play that I see kind of reflected in, like, society's assumptions around what a traditional relationship looks like. Yeah, um, yeah if you take kind of the very cis-heteronormative one man, one woman, um, you know, getting married, having babies, she stays home, he goes and works. It's sort of the very traditional assumption that stuck around for a long time. Yeah. And, and like, even when people are, like, challenging that assumption at a small level, it's still what you see reflected in, like, wider society. Yes. A lot of the time still today. Yeah. Yeah. So that's sort of... Toxic masculinity, I guess we would sort of define as, as the unhealthy expectations that are uh, presented for how to be a man in a particular way. Um, and healthy masculinity is not that. Yeah, which seems weird to be defining healthy masculinity as like just the absence of toxic masculinity, but to me that's kind of how it is. And yeah, at a base level. At, at a really, yeah. Yeah. And so what, what's your experience been like with toxic masculinity in your life, whether it's kind of in yourself or in the people around you? Yeah, so as I, as I said before, I feel like I've had like a 
watered down version of toxic masculinity in my life, but still like a decent amount of it. Um, and I, like I've, I've got the same things that all, I think all people who are assigned male at birth have, which is like being told that boys don't cry mm-hmm. and being told to, to man up and to harden up. And um, basically just being taught from a really young age that you're expected to repress your emotions and that comes through both like explicitly being told to uh, repress your emotions but also just like implicitly the way that um the way that other like male role models and masculine characters on tv are shown basically Yeah. yeah i'm suddenly trying to think of the last time that i saw you cry I think I've maybe seen you cry once or twice in the eight years or yeah, so. Yeah, I don't, I don't cry much. And for yeah. me, that's, an, an, like, I think that's rooted in some toxic masculinity. It's also I, as part of my, like, personality, enjoy being in control of mm. every facet of my life, <laughs> which includes my emotions. Um, so that's, like, a fun one to balance. And I, I think with all things that are, like, uh, products of social constructs it's really hard to like find your identity as separate from the expectations of society because yes. you can't go back and be like well if i was raised in a vacuum yeah what i look like yeah yeah that's kind of too hypothetical yeah exactly yeah. um i actually just remembered a moment um from probably during the first year of our friendship um of a, a key kind of example in one moment of toxic masculinity and you doing what you do which is subverting expectations and I don't know if you remember this but um, there are about five of us Um, it was you and me and a couple of guy friends and one female friend all walking along the street and a car full of men pulled up next to us as we were waiting at the traffic light and I think yelled at me like you know hey, sexy, do you want to get in or something? Do you want to go for a ride? And you, without batting an eyelid, turned around and said, yep, all right, and started walking towards their car. And they were very, oh, no, not you, like locking the doors and trying to drive off as soon as the light turned green, Um, which was obviously playing with them a little bit because they were being very rude. Um, But subverting the expectations of that situation and also using your kind of masculine presenting power and the privilege that you had there that you weren't the one being harassed to divert attention away from me at the time femme presenting who was being harassed yeah i remember that you do Uh, yeah Yeah. i for me like that's i guess as you say it's one of those moments where as someone's privilege you can kind of step in and try to diffuse the situation i am a very non-confrontational person and that mm-hmm. I don't like like busting heads but I'm yeah. more than happy to kind of like try to diffuse a situation mm-hmm. like that so it doesn't escalate yeah um, and for me that's also like that was a really uh, I I think that's a really good way to kind of um, have the people who are catcalling like ask that question to themselves because a lot of yeah. the time that you know people people who are catcalling when they're challenged on it would just be like oh it's just pay you compliment can you take compliment it's like well you wouldn't do that behavior to to someone who was male presenting yeah um and yeah. that was a pretty clear demonstration of that yeah and it was also it's it was a really good way to not only make all of us laugh in a situation that was very degrading 
Um, but also, um, it, it was it, it really efficiently diffused it. And I mean, it wasn't a super dangerous situation in the first place. I mean, we could definitely have just walked away. Um, they would have had to park their car and get out if they wanted to chase us. But it was sort of a, a situation where everyone felt uncomfortable. And in sort of the space of two seconds, you turned that around and and um, kind of, yeah, turned it from an aggressive situation into something very funny. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we're going to take a quick break now and we'll be back in a couple of minutes and we'll talk uh, moving from healthy masculinity to uh, healthy relationships. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. Hey you, yeah you, are you tired of people asking you what you want to be when you grow up? Well, we can help. What if we gave you the money to start your own business? All you have to do is join the Teen Wealth Club. Even if you have no idea what you want to do, we can help you have the life of your dreams and play by your own rules. We are real, real people who believe that your life can be whatever you want it to be. And we know it works because we have hundreds of other teens just like you who are doing it right now. Check out GlobalTeenWealth.org and start the life of your dreams today. Don't forget to mention Teen Wealth Radio and we'll send you a free gift when you join. Or you can call us at 1-855-866-TEEN. That's 1-855-866-8336. GlobalTeenWealth.org. We're here to get you started on your future. Every day, we're surrounded by technical buzzwords and jargon that can go way over our heads. Now, there's a show that brings it all back down to earth. Tune in for today, Tomorrow's Technologies, with host Jose Negron. We'll not only explain the new technologies that are shaping our world, we'll give you the benefits and backstory of these technologies. Listen for T3 with Jose Negron, live every Tuesday at noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You are tuned in to Teen Wealth Radio. To join in the conversation, send an email to Brandy at GlobalTeenWealth.com. That's Brandy with an I at GlobalTeenWealth.com. Now, back to this week's show. Thanks, everyone. Uh, we are back with me, Cass, and uh, my friend Tom Hutton. And we've just been talking a little bit about masculinity, the toxic masculinity and healthy masculinity and how those sort of interplay um i thought we'd move on to talking a little bit about relationships um because kind of 
if you can be healthy in your own masculinity or otherwise, um, then how does that translate into a relationship? Um, I've known you through a few different relationships that you've had in your life. And the one thing that struck me that they all have in common is that you are very, you seem very aware of the dynamics of, of the relationships that you have. Um, so in your opinion, with your world of experience, what makes a healthy relationship? Uh, yeah, that's a, that's a really interesting question. I have, I think, been in relationships that were at times unhealthy while we have known each other. Um, not severely so, but uh, definitely, definitely to some extent. Um, and for me, kind of the biggest part of of having a healthy relationship, which I think I'm, I'm better at now, uh, having had six years of practice over two long-term uh, mm. monogamous relationships, the the big thing about, about a healthy relationship is communication and making sure that you're on the same page with your partner or partners. Um, and that kind of, like a big part of that communication for me is not having assumptions. Yes. So not assuming that you know what each other wants, but also not assuming that you know what the relationship is. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's this trope in in TV series and movies around like defining the relationship and having the, the conversation. The what are we? Yeah. 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 And and around having having that that one big scary conversation, yeah. but it's not one big scary conversation. It's, it's like an ongoing. It's a journey. whole series of smaller conversations. Yeah, yeah. And just constantly like checking in with each other and making sure that you're on the same page around expectations of what you want. And I wouldn't even say like having compatible desires, but if you don't have compatible desires, being aware that that's what it is. Yeah, and being aware and being honest about kind of what are your make and break points for various aspects of a relationship. Yeah, and a huge part of that comes down to like first off knowing what it is that you want because it's really hard to have a conversation with someone about like, hey, what do we want without knowing what it is that you are hoping to get out of that relationship yourself whether that is like a long-term committed thing or whether that is just some casual fun or whether that is like emotional intimacy mm. um, and a bit of a physical connection. Like, so it's like it's figuring out what aspects of a relationship, and this goes not just for romantic relationships, but for all yeah. interpersonal relationships. Yeah. yeah, relationships in the broadest sense. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like you have a relationship with your boss and your co-workers, and yeah. sometimes it can be really important to like – maybe not have that conversation with them if you're not in the right place, but at least to understand what yeah. it is that that relationship looks like and to know if there are things in that relationship that you're not happy with. Yeah. So it sounds like for you, um, the the point at which your relationships in the past have been unhealthy is when there's been a lack of open and honest communication. Yeah, it's when there's been assumptions. Yes. Um, and we haven't properly like figured out what it is that we both wanted. Right. Um, for me, there was a long time where I didn't really know what it was that I wanted in a relationship, which made it very hard for me to be part of a healthy relationship. Um, but also, I I had uh, those two relationships that I mentioned before where I think in both cases, uh, myself and my partners were making assumptions about what the other person wanted mm-hmm. and those didn't line up. Um, where where uh I guess in, in those cases, like the other person I was in a relationship wanted like a long-term committed relationship where we eventually at some point got married and had kids and bought a house and had yeah. two and a half children and a 
dog. Yes, um, <laughs> which is clearly not what you want. Which is, which is very not what I want. And I, I thought that I had been at least somewhat clear about that in those relationships, but I, like, in hindsight, definitely could have been a lot more clear yeah. about it, especially when that's kind of the assumption that a lot of society makes. Mm. Um, and while in an ideal world, like, people would ask rather than assume we kind of have to accept that we live in this world where there are certain societal assumptions. And if you want something that goes against those societal assumptions, while there shouldn't be more pressure on you to, to have that conversation, often if, if you're a realist, you need to yeah. have that. Yeah. You need to like put out maybe not red flags, but like orange flags yes. uh, in advance and sort Semaphore. of say, yeah, just kind of, just kind of indicate like, Hey, yeah. what you're assuming a typical relationship looks like is not, I am interested. Yeah. So those those aspects of um, open communication and transparency and honesty, um, how do those manifest in different styles of relationship? And if we're looking at more kind of um, romantic or sexual relationships, um, we've sort of, we have this idea of the traditional monogamous relationship that we've mentioned Um how do communication and honesty manifest in that versus in a more um, non-traditional relationship, um, like an open relationship or a polyamorous situation? How do those things manifest differently in those different styles of relationship? I think the the poly community is a lot better at communication in broad terms um, because everyone in the poly community kind of goes into it knowing that there's going to be a lot of different factors at play. Mm-hmm. Um, and in monogamous relationships, often there is almost no conversation around like, Hey, what do we want out of this relationship? Mm-hmm. There is just kind of assumptions made. Um, one of our favorite authors, John Green tells yes. a great story about um, going on a, a pre marriage retreat with a bunch of other couples. So it was shortly before they were going to get married. There were a bunch of other couples there who were also going to get married. And they did this exercise where they were uh, back-to-back with their partners and answering a bunch of, like, yes or no questions, Mm. like, raise your hand if... And one of the questions was, raise your hand if you want children. Um, And John tells the story that him him and his uh, now wife, Sarah both put up their hands and turned around and looked at each other and were like, okay, yep, we know that. We've had this conversation yep. before. And then they looked around at all the other couples and over half of the other couples were arguing because despite being engaged to be married, they'd never had the conversation around doing oh, kids or And not. they only just realised that one of them wanted kids and the others didn't. Yeah, which seems, oh, no. it seems, it seems crazy to get to that stage of commitment without having talked about something that is like having kids, I think is possibly the biggest, like the most committed life choice you can make. Like getting married, you can have a divorce, getting kids. You can't take that bit back. Yeah. (laughs) You're kind of stuck with them. Yeah. So that's, yeah, it sounds like there's a lot more um, predisposition to open communication and more, um, less traditional relationships because you're already breaking a a designated norm yeah yeah Yeah, because because you don't have i guess you don't have those like 
um, those really hardline societal assumptions to fall back on. Mm. You need to you need to start from somewhere, and often that foundation is like okay. Rather than starting from this like assumption of a traditional relationship, we're gonna start from nothing, and we're yeah. gonna build the relationship from there. Um, though that depends on the way that you're kind of I guess doing polyamory, for want of a better way to put it. Yeah. Um, so there are there are some people who do like hierarchical polyamory, which yeah. is basically pretty similar to just having monogamous relationships with a bunch of different people at the mm-hmm. same time. Um, and you have like your primary partner, and then you have secondary mm-hmm. partners. Um, and communication there would would be making sure that everyone is clear on who has what part in this relationship, and what do we want from and expect from each different partner. Yeah, that, that's what it would like in a healthy situation. But in, mm-hmm. in an unhealthy situation for that, it would just be like, okay, this person is my primary partner, this person is my secondary partner, and then everyone can assume what yeah. that means. Yeah. Um, and that sounds like a recipe for disaster, even in a monogamous relationship. Oh, oh yeah. Um, so there's, yeah, I, I guess I'm, I'm now like a huge advocate for, for talking and discussing everything. Yeah. And trying to like be really mindful of when you are making assumptions about a relationship. Yeah. Um, and again, that goes not just for romantic relationships, but all your relationships. I personally, I've always struggled with the, the, boundary between a romantic relationship and a like friendship yeah um, for want of better words for those categories because i uh even when i was in committed monogamous relationships uh it felt weird to me that society expected me to be emotionally closer to my partner than to my friends when i hadn't known my partner for as long as my friends so, like, when you've got a new partner that you've been uh, in a romantic relationship with for, like, three months, and then you've got friends who you've been friends with for five years, yeah, there's this expectation that you're close to the person you've known for three months, and that yeah. just never fit. Yeah, and there's, there's other things as well, like um, cuddles and everything are designated romantic unless otherwise specified. It's like as soon as you have a relationship the societal expectation is that you put all of these things and you dump them in the romantic category. If you're not in a relationship, no one seems to have an issue with you um, hugging or cuddling your friends. But as soon as you're in a monogamous relationship and you're, you know, sitting on the couch cuddling a friend, there's that, oh, would your partner like you doing that? Yeah, that's something that I... I really pushed against and one of the things that led me towards um so so for those of you who didn't kind of guess from what i've been saying before i am and uh, I, I consider myself to be non-monogamous now um and that's one of the things that really pushed me away from that is that feeling of like like my partners felt they had a claim of ownership over me yes um and that's something that i really wanted to push quite hard against mm-hmm. yeah yeah that sounds like you've done that very successfully I, um, I think so. Yeah. I'm in a pretty good place <laughs> yeah. right now. All right. We're going to take another quick break. And when we come back, we'll talk a little bit more about relationships and then um, a little bit in general about life. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Hey you. Yeah you. Are you tired of people asking you what you want to be when you grow up? 
Well, we can help. What if we gave you the money to start your own business? All you have to do is join the Teen Wealth Club. Even if you have no idea what you want to do, we can help you have the life of your dreams and play by your own rules. We are real. Real people who believe that your life can be whatever you want it to be. And we know it works because we have hundreds of other teens just like you who are doing it right now. Check out GlobalTeenWealth.org and start the life of your dreams today. Don't forget to mention Teen Wealth Radio and we'll send you a free gift when you join. Or you can call us at 1-855-866-TEEN. That's 1-855-866-8336. GlobalTeenWealth.org. We're here to get you started on your future. Are you ready for a broad look at everything to do with the world of sports? If so, tune in to the Mike Abadir Show. It's a unique perspective to the connections between sports and business. Host Mike Abadir has negotiated numerous deals in the NFL. Along with co-host Gino Bacola, Mike will bring his expertise, discussion, and some terrific guests to the airwaves. Listen live for the Mike Abadir Show every Thursday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on The Voice America Variety Channel. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. are tuned in to Teen Wealth Radio. To join in the conversation, send an email to Brandy at GlobalTeenWealth.com. That's Brandy with an I at GlobalTeenWealth.com. Now, back to this week's show. Thanks for sticking around, everyone. We are back with Tom and we're talking a little bit about relationships. So we've talked a bit about what makes relationships healthy, um, both in a monogamous and in a non-monogamous relationship, um, as regards communication and trust and being very open with your partner or partners about um, the desires and expectations that you have for those relationships. Um, I thought we could talk a little bit, on the other hand, about unhealthy relationships, um, whether that's just when the communication isn't great or in a more extreme sense if it's a deeply unhealthy or abusive relationship. Um, So in terms of unhealthy relationships, what are some red flags for you? Uh, I guess it comes back to like looking at what makes a healthy relationship in the absence of that. So Mm -hmm. if there's not good communication, um, which means that either – uh, for, for me personally, I've been in a situation where my partners have just like refused to discuss certain things mm. um, and refu- like when when we were trying to have conversations around what we wanted, they were just in denial about the very apparent fact that we wanted different things. Right. Um, and it's fine. I, I think uh, it's fine to want different things in a relationship as long as you're both aware that you want different things and that maybe the relationship has an expiry date on it mm. because of that. Um but where that has an issue is where, like, you, you refuse to acknowledge that expiry date or you, refuse, or you refuse to acknowledge that you're not on the same page. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's kind of that. That's kind of the, I guess, minor red flags. Yeah. Um, 
where it becomes like a really abusive relationship is, is things like uh, having your worldview manipulated. So, so gaslighting, where, where someone tries to convince you that your perception of the world is not accurate and that you are uh, going crazy, which I've low-key had happen in one of my relationships. Um, and yeah, and the kind of, um, for instance, if, if your partner does something that really hurts you and you trying to communicate, bring that up with them, hey, you did this thing and that really hurt me, and their response is something like, you know, don't be silly, that didn't hurt you that much, or, um, I, you know, it, it didn't happen the way that you think it happened, that kind of thing. Yeah, so, so definitely, like, be on the lookout for someone not accepting the impact that they have had on you. Yeah. Um, I, was, I was working at a camp over summer, and one of the things that we talked about in terms of, uh, of youth management, but I think it applies really well to a relationship, is... Um, the idea of acknowledge intent, sorry, trust intent, but acknowledge impact. Yes. Um, so in a relationship, if you hurt someone in a relationship, you can't just say like, oh, I didn't mean to hurt you, as if that takes as away As if that hurt. means that you didn't yeah. in fact hurt them. Yeah. yeah. So, so similarly, if someone hurts you in a relationship, um, it might, even if they are, are genuine in saying that they didn't mean to hurt you, in a in a healthy relationship, there will still be some sort of acknowledgement of the impact that they have had, and hopefully a commitment to change that behaviour. And then here's the important one: actual change. Actually in doing it, yeah. No matter how many times they say, you know, sorry, I can change, I can be different. If they never follow through on it, it's a it's an empty promise. Yeah, if you find yourself having that conversation over and over and over again, that's probably a sign that you're not in a super healthy relationship. Yeah. Yeah. Would that be one of your kind of the signs that it's time to leave? Yeah, definitely. Um, if you find yourself having that sort of conversation where, where you're like where you're asking to be respected in a certain way or you're asking for a certain sort of behaviour that's um, and, and they're not following through yeah. with that or they're saying that they will and they're not. Yeah. I mean, that's a pretty to me that's a pretty clear deal breaker. Um, but obviously, it's a lot harder to see from inside the relationship. Yeah. Um, and then if we if we want to talk about, like, you know, full-on cases of abusive relationships, there can be situations where someone is driving you away from your friends and trying to isolate you mm. so that they can further take advantage of you. And, um, yeah, it's, it's hard. That actually, there was a, a very brief relationship that I had um, – when you and I um, were spending a lot of time together. Um, and I don't think this was, um, I wouldn't call it abusive. I think that would be a bit of a stretch, but it was definitely an unhealthy behavior um, where the person I was dating, um, and this goes back to kind of the assumption that we take all of these things and put them in the romantic category and shut our friends out of them as soon as we're in a relationship. Um, the person I was dating was at first just confused by the fact that you and I had a lot of sleepovers and then was very unhappy about it to the point that they called me in the middle of the night one time and said, are you at Tom's house? Um, you know, why are you at Tom's house? Why do you keep sleeping over at Tom's house? Um, and that kind of sense of the, that you and I had been friends for quite a bit at that point 
and then suddenly this new relationship had begun and the person had the expectation that I would immediately cut off a decent chunk of my social interaction with you and devote it all to them, um, which fortunately for me at the time was a, a signal to leave. <laughs> so fortunately that one never got to the point of being um, deeply unhealthy, but that's the kind of thing that if you've been in a relationship with that person for a while and they start doing that, it's harder to disengage because in the first couple of weeks of a relationship, you know, you, you're not super attached already. And it's easier to say, well, this person's been my friend for months and months. I've been dating you for two weeks so long. But when you've been dating someone for a year or two and they start doing things like that, you know, why are you spending so much time with your friends? Why are you, you know, going out and partying with your friends? Or why are you just going over to your friend's house instead of to mine? It can be harder to mentally extract yourself from that and realize that that's not a healthy behavior. Yeah, especially when there's a lot of, I think it comes back to like the societal expectations, a lot of expectations and t like, I guess, Hollywoodization, uh, the, the TV shows and the movies that show like one person by themselves unhappy mm -hmm. when they meet the one and they are finally a complete human being and that one person is the entirety of their yeah, support. Yeah, that, that idea that one person can take you from unhappy to complete and happy. Yeah, and I would say that's, to, to me, that's kind of what uh, some of my less healthy relationships have looked like, mm. is me being in a relationship with someone where I was um, their only support network. Yeah. Um, which is... Uh, I think a struggle for everyone involved. Yeah, that's in that. a lot to put on one person, whether yeah. they're your boyfriend or your best friend or your mother. You know, it's it's very difficult to be one person's sole support, no matter who that person is to you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and that's something I guess to kind of try to be aware of. Um, mm. But it's it's hard. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's it sounds like in your life you've. Um, derived less of your life's meaning from the relationships that you're in and more from the things that you do, whether in, in those relationships or by yourself. Yeah, I would say I've defined less of my meaning from my traditional romantic relationships, mm -hmm. but I still take a lot of meaning from my interpersonal relationships. Yeah. Um, and I... Uh, it kind of comes back to that idea of, like, uh, I don't have one person that I lean on really heavily, mm. but I have a, a small handful of people that I consider to be, like, very important and yeah. vital parts of my life who all help me to find the meaning of my life. Yeah. And you've lived way. quite an interesting life so far. I mean, you're only 26? I am 26. Yeah. And you've, you've so far had a number of different um, paths that you've been traveling in life. You've had a couple different careers and you've, you know, let's talk a little bit about that. What have, what have you been doing with your life, Tom? Yeah, so <laughs> so I, I was pretty on the path, I guess, uh, up until finishing high school. Uh, towards the end of finishing high school, I realized that I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. Yeah. Um, Did you go to college? I did not because because I knew I didn't 
know what I wanted to do with my life. I didn't want to go to college and get a uh, massive student loan and spend mm-hmm. a lot of time yeah. and uh, probably end up changing my mind multiple times just to get a degree that I wasn't necessarily going to put into practice. That didn't seem to me like the best use of my time and money. Uh, so I made the decision to not go to college, mm-hmm. which got a lot of pushback yeah. from uh, my parents and my teachers. I was quite yeah. a high academic achiever in high school, um, and there was an assumption that I would go to university. I think specifically there was an assumption that I would do an engineering degree no, because that's yeah. what you do if you're smart. Yes. Yeah, there's this huge expectation that the only way to properly use um, a brain is to go to college or university and do something very intellectual and difficult. Um, you know, if, if you've spent time in high school getting good grades and really kind of developing intellectually, there's the assumption that you're going to go straight through and do a degree and, and you know, that that is the path that you must want to go. Yeah, and, and these days, not even if you're like a super high achiever, but just if you're not... Basically, the assumption of the societal expectations, if you're not dumb... Yeah, yeah, for want of a better word. If you're achieving at an average or above average level... You're going to go to university or college and you're going to follow that path and then somehow at the end find a job, even though you're competing with a bunch of other people who have done this degree. (laughs) Yes, and and conversely, the expectation that if you don't make good grades in high school, that you're going to, you know, be stuck doing these things which are viewed as lesser occupations you know your teacher will tell you better go to university or you'll end up being a garbage collector and doesn't tell you that the garbage collector makes more than they do yeah which is it's it's an interesting reflection on how we we view different jobs in society how we put value on them outside of the uh i guess the financial yeah Like, I've got a lot of friends who have gone to college and have not used their degrees. And I also know a decent number of people who didn't go to college and went straight into, like, for example, trades. Yeah. Earning, like, four times as much as those who went to college. If you compare me and and one of the guys that I was friends with in high school, um, he uh, finished, didn't do the final year of high school, went straight into um, trades. And by the time he was 23, he, he was a... I don't think he owned his own plumbing business, but he definitely was a, a plumber in his own right and was making decent money and living very comfortably. And then there was me who stayed to the end of high school, went straight through university, doing a degree that I was very interested in. I did a degree in linguistics and I loved it. Um, but I haven't had a job that's used that degree. It's been useful in various ways, but it hasn't been like the defining thing of my career. And, I mean, now I'm a struggling actor taking over radio shows for my agent <laughs> to fill my time. <laughs> All right, we're going to take another break, and then we'll be back to uh, talk a little bit more about life and uh, wrap things up with Tom Hutton. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com Hey you! Yeah you! Are you tired of people asking you what you want to be when you grow up? Well, we can help! What if we gave you the money to start your own business? 
All you have to do is join the Teen Wealth Club. Even if you have no idea what you want to do, we can help you have the life of your dreams and play by your own rules. We are real. Real people who believe that your life can be whatever you want it to be. And we know it works because we have hundreds of other teens just like you who are doing it right now. Check out GlobalTeenWealth.org and start the life of your dreams today. Don't forget to mention Teen Wealth Radio and we'll send you a free gift when you join. Or you can call us at 1-855-866-TEEN. That's 1-855-866-8336. GlobalTeenWealth.org. We're here to get you started on your future. Have you found the beauty inside of you? Join Bonnie Bonadeo each week for Beauty Inside and Out. We'll explain how beauty plays a part in everybody's lives. Our guests are makeup artists, hairdressers, and doctors. But we'll also feature holistic and wellness specialists and spiritual advisors. You can find that beauty inside and express it to its fullest on the outside. Tune in to Beauty Inside and Out every Thursday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective, plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite hosts. It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. All access all the time the internet's number one talk station number one talk station voiceamerica.com you are tuned in to teen wealth radio to join in the conversation send an email to brandy at global that's Brandy with an I at GlobalTeenWealth.com. Now, back to this week's show. Thanks for coming around, everyone. Uh, we're back with Tom Hoffman, and we've been talking a little bit about um, life and the different paths you can take through life. Um, so, Tom, you decided not to go to college or university because you didn't have something that you wanted to do. Yeah, to the, to the great disappointment of my parents. Yes. What did you do instead? So, uh, after deciding I wasn't going to go to college, I didn't really have a plan um, for a while. Uh, and then towards the end of my last year of, uh, of high school, I was lucky enough to stumble upon a career opportunity uh, that excited me at least a little bit um, and that was kind of up my avenue in terms of my uh, strengths in mm. maths and like spatial reasoning and yeah um, but not a, not a, not a um, college needed career no it was a specific it was a specific I guess job that I was looking at getting into uh, and I couldn't start until I was 20 so I had two years to kill oh, yeah. after finishing high school um, so I applied I applied for the job I kind of got accepted at age 18 and they put me on a waiting yeah. list for two years. So provisionally accepted. Yeah. Yeah. Ending yeah. your 20th birthday. Yeah, pretty much. Um, and so I had that lined up and for the two years in the interim, I didn't really do much. Yeah. I spent the first like three or four months mostly in my bed. 
Um, <laughs> Which yep. I think was when I met you. Yes, quite or possibly. Or after. You might have just gotten out of bed when I met you. Yeah. Um, it wasn't the best time for, for me in terms of my, like, mental and physical health. Yeah. Because um, you kind of didn't really have anything you were working on. You you sort of had this waiting period and, and nothing much yeah, to do. Yeah, it felt like my life was kind of on hold. Yeah. Um, and then I kind of flipped a switch and started reconnecting with my scouting roots. Mm. Um, I started looking for jobs. Um, I eventually went on the, on, on the unemployment benefit that we have in New Zealand, mm. uh, and they helped me find work doing, uh, of all things, working as a security guard. Mm, um, yeah, I know this is radio, and I sound very, like, buff and, <laughs> and scary. You like, think you sound buff and scary? I am, I am quite scrawny. <laughs> Thomas, skinny and lanky. I wear glasses. Um, yeah, he's a dork in yeah. every sense of the I was word. part of chess club. Yeah. Oh, God. I was also, I was also captain of the <laughs> I mean, yeah. you know, you can take multitudes. Exactly. Um, but I, I was quite shocked when they found me. Yeah. My job as a, yeah. as a yeah. So you, yeah, you filled your time between your 18th and 20th birthday, basically doing yeah. a couple I, of different jobs that weren't really careers. I was doing part-time jobs. Yeah. I was aware that I was in a holding person and I was trying to focus rather than on working. I was trying to focus time on like spending time with the people mm. that I love and yeah. um, sort of fostering relationships and uh, I think, like, I would not go back and change that time. I yeah. Think it was, other than that first few months where I didn't really get out of bed all that much and spend yeah. a lot of time watching YouTube videos, I think it was a time really well spent. Yeah. Um, and then after that, I started training, had a year of training uh, for this job, and then uh, worked for four and a half years, which brought us through to March of this year, mm-hmm. when uh, after being in the job for four and a half years, being away from home for just under six years sorry Ooh, when i say being, yeah. away from home, being away from my hometown where most yeah. of my uh friends and yeah family you'd, are. you'd gone for training and then you'd gone to a few different cities for yes this job. So, so for this job uh the pay was good the hours were okay but it was shift work uh but they got to choose where i lived yes and I, was, I was on a waiting list to get back to my hometown and that waiting list wasn't going nowhere slowly yeah so it's sort of you you were in a job that was paying you really well and that was in a, a field that you enjoyed, but there were also kind of drawbacks in terms of being away from home and yeah, not getting to my, choose your hours. My social life was definitely yeah. struggling. Um, and I was just finding myself more and more sort of frustrated with missing out on, on various things going on back at home, missing out on important sort of opportunities to connect with my friends. Mm. So um, you'd found yourself in this really, you know, lucrative kind of job that was making your parents really proud of you <laughs> and uh then what did you do and then i quit yeah uh <laughs> what did they think of that they they weren't thrilled about it until i sort of talked to them about the, the reasons behind it um and they they were a bit more supportive about mm-hmm. the conversation but it was definitely still like i guess breaking that, that expectation yeah. uh because this was a job where most people in the job are in the same career for 40 to 50 years. Yeah, and you've um, kind of done four years and gone, and I, no, I've I'm done. done. four years and yeah. basically tapped out, and I am still, six months later, still pretty thrilled with, with that decision. Yeah, um, your decision to leave? Yeah, the yeah. decision to leave. Like, I, I'm also, I don't think I made the worst decision in doing the job. I probably should have left a little bit before I did, but I was very aware going in, like, I am trading off short-term gain in terms of getting paid, 
pretty well yeah. uh, for, for hopefully long term. I'll be able to retire earlier yeah. uh, or be able to mm. find something else that I can do. And I'm now at a point where thanks to kind of a bit of sacrifice for a few years, I'm now in a fairly financially stable position where yeah. I, like, I quit my job six months ago and I haven't started looking for work yet. yet. Um, That's an enviable position. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I did work for two months at a summer camp, but that yeah. did not well, pay particularly well. Speaking of, uh, what have you yeah. been doing since you haven't been working that so, job? So since quit my job, I, I went, moved back to my home city pretty much straight away. I had a few weeks there, just reconnecting with people, um, spending lots of time with my friends and my found family. Mm-hmm. Uh, I went on a three-week self-development course in the outdoors, and then I went overseas and worked at a camp in the US for two months. Um, nice. It was a non-profit camp. It was helping out um, a bunch of kids from under-resourced backgrounds and it was just like super full on but also super rewarding and yeah. doing the doing something that I'm really passionate about Yeah. Um, and that I'm happy to do without getting yeah. paid for it basically. Yeah. So you've been doing a lot of travel, a lot of volunteering, basically using that, you know, the, the short-term sacrifice that you made in taking this job and then using the funds that you were able to save to do things that you like. Yeah, so yeah. kind of doing the other side of that trade-off and trying yeah. to, to refocus on finding something that I'm passionate about I can see myself doing yeah. in the long term. Nice. And now I just need to figure out a way to yeah. actually sustainable in the long term. Yeah. So um, quickly, just in the time that we've got left, um, what would be sort of your one or two sentences of advice for teenagers who don't see a conventional path that fits them? I think first off, like, that's okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, second off, think about the financial implications. Yeah. Uh, because, I like, I don't want to sit here and tell you to follow your dreams if your dreams are not financially sustainable. Yeah, we live in a capitalist society where you yeah. have to make until money. We, until we overthrow capitalism. Um, <laughs> there's not much that we can do about that. You need to kind of, like like acknowledge what you want out of life, but also acknowledge the realities of your situation, which can yeah. often be kind of harsh realities. Um, but like, think about what you are going to be able to do. That's going to be sustainable in the long run. And then for, for me personally, I've always kind of thought about uh, living my life in the way that is going to be like, make me the most happy. And by happy, I mean like fully content, like, like big picture happiness, not just like little yeah. moments. Um, but, live your life in the way that's going to make you the most happy for the foreseeable future. Yeah. And in under capitalism, having money yeah. is, is usually going to open doors yes. uh, more than it's going to close doors. Uh, yeah. And it's, it's something that if you don't know what else you're looking for, maybe that's something that you can put a bit of time into doing, but also having time with like the people that you love is probably something that's going to yeah. make you happy. And I think the secret is to finding that balance and then to acknowledging that like, then to acknowledge that I think for, for most people of our generation, you're not going to do one thing for the rest yeah. of your life. And being okay with that, being okay with um, not having to go to college in order to have a good job and, um, yeah, just finding one thing or two things or any number of things that you can do that will make you happy, that will enable you to live the life you want and then fitting in the things that make you really, really happy around that. Yeah, and you don't need a 40-year plan, like the foreseeable future. Yeah. What you want in 30 years' time is going to be different from what you want yeah. now. So yeah. I think think about what's going to like get you to a good place in the next yeah. five years. 
That's pretty good advice. Yeah. All right. And on that note, I think that's our show for today. Once again, my name is Cass Wandon, and uh, I've been joined by Tom Hutton, who's visiting from me from New Zealand and will be on his way to more travels in the near future. Yeah, hopefully. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us, everyone, and uh, have a good week. for being part of Teen Wealth Radio. Please join your host, Brandy England, her guests, and panel of experts again next Thursday at 5 p.m. Pacific Time, 8 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have an awesome week, and we'll see you here for the next show.